Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of James. The New Testament book of James. And if you wouldn't mind looking with me in the book of James in chapter number 5. The book of James in chapter number 5. We have been traveling through this epistle (laughs) written by James, the human penman. And we've been exploring this practical book. This is a book that explains wisdom for the New Testament Christian. That because we're saved, how do we behave? How do we act? How should we respond? What is it that it looks like for a Christian to walk in faith? And this has been a very practical book. And we come to our final lesson in the book of James in chapter number five. The book of James chapter number five. And if you don't mind, let's start together in the book of James chapter five and verse number 13. The book of James chapter five and verse 13. Notice what the Bible says. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not (laughs) rain. And it rained not in the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. And with this, if you're the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of James chapter 5? The book of James chapter 5, and notice with me in verse number 18 where it says, he prayed again. He prayed again. And with the Lord's help, we want to hit this idea of prayer, prayed again. Now, in this passage, it's going to use the historical illustration of Elijah. Elijah, if you're familiar with the story found in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17 through 1 Kings chapter number 19, that Elijah was sent by God to go to Ahab the the king, and point his bony finger in his face and said, listen here, it's not going to rain again until I say. And then he just left. Well, Ahab probably just laughed and said, what in the world happened? Went back to his uh, council and his friends and said, you know what? You will never believe what happened to me today. I had this crazy preacher get in my face and said, it's not going to rain until he came and 
Ah, man, that was hilarious. And so they kind of laughed it off until it didn't rain. This is an agricultural society, by the way, which is very arid, desert-like. And so when rain doesn't happen, nothing grows. It's a very, uh, it is a place that is very, very dependent upon rain. So when the rain didn't fall the first year, they probably lived off of what stores they had, but it was kind of rough, and they were really hoping rain would come again. The second year, no rain. Now people are starting to get desperate. Now they're trying to say, what are we going to do? We used up all of our stores. We didn't have crops. Our animals don't have food. What are we going to do? Third year. Now they're really desperate. They're so desperate. Now they have wanted signs for Elijah. Have you seen this man? They have him on the back of milk cartons. They're doing everything they can to find this guy because they need this guy to pray so that way rain would fall because now they're sending search parties to find any kind of grass for their cattle. They are just struggling. No water, no rain, no crops. Well, of course, they had the big God off at, at Mount Carmel where God rained down fire off the prayer of Elijah, whereas the 400 prophets of Baal, nothing happened when they prayed. And then after all of that was done, Elijah stood up on the mountain and he prayed. He prayed one time, the skies are clear. A second time, skies are clear. Third time, skies are clear. Fourth time, skies are clear. Fifth time, Skies are clear. Sixth time, skies are clear. Seventh time, now there's a little cloud on the horizon. Elijah said to Ahab, you better get home because it is going to rain. And sure enough, the clouds began to form. Rain began to fall all over the place. Why? Based off of the prayers of Elijah. Now notice again in the book of James what God has to say concerning this matter. Verse 17, Elijah, Elias, which is Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. Now what this is emphasizing here is that there was nothing special about Elijah. He didn't have superpowers. He didn't have a special connection. He was just like we are. In fact, you look at that next chapter in 2 Kings chapter 19. Don't turn there, but for historical reference. Jezebel said, listen here, I'm going to kill you. And he ran and was depressed. He was ready to quit. What it's showing is that he was just like we are. He was just flesh and blood like we were. Elias was subject to like passions as we were. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on earth by the space of three years. And he prayed again, and heaven gave its rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Now, in this passage, the emphasis is not on Elijah, and it's not on his prayers, but the God that he is talking to. What is the secret of Elijah? He learned that there was a God who heard and answered prayers. And he was able to pray again. When he prayed, he wasn't praying up to the sky. He wasn't praying to the wind and hope it carried somewhere. He was talking directly to God. And he was being heard by a God who hears and answers prayer. There was nothing magical about Elijah. Nothing super powered or supernatural about Elijah. 
He was just as fallible as we were. We have days that we're doing good and days that we're not doing good. It was all about the God he was talking to. So with this in mind, let's go ahead and examine this passage here. And let's see about this. Now remember, the book of James chapter 1 and verse 4 said, Let patience have her perfect work. That patience waiting on God does a work in us. That was the start of James. It's going to end that same way of letting patience have her perfect work. Notice that there's a God who's always at work. Let's examine this text a little bit more. Notice here, pray for the sick. Pray for the sick. Notice verse 13. It says in James chapter 5 and verse 13, Is any among you afflicted? That means that they're injured, they're hurt, they're infirm, they're sick. Is there any among you afflicted? Let him pray. There are sick and afflicted among us everywhere. How do we deal with this? We begin with prayer. We begin to pray to a God who can do all things. It's the God that we're praying for. What we understand in context here is that there's always a purpose for sickness. God is doing a work. And we go to the God who's doing a work. We go to him. Is there any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is there any Mary? Let him sing psalms. We don't order God around in our prayers. We're not saying, listen here, God, you better get this done. That's not what we're speaking about here. Some people make that mistake. God is not our servant. We're his servant. But we can go up to a God who does hear and answer prayers. You know, part of our problem with our prayers is that we, we, <laughs> we often give God a laundry list. God, take care of this. God, deliver this. God, take care of this. Uh, before I get home at five, this better be done. All the chores better be done. We often pray to God like that. Our problems with our prayers is that we talk, often talk at God rather than talk with God. You know, there is a lot of times where God will allow f- affliction, pain, suffering for the purpose of us finally going and actually talking with God. Now that there's something disrupted in my life, now I have a reason to go talk to God and now I really need God to work. God, please, will you do something? God, will you please work with me? God, this is something that has to be taken care of. We now pray a little bit differently because now we need something from God and we have a reason to talk with God. There's sometimes that the reason why sickness comes upon us is because we're not right with God and God now has to do something to get our attention. That's why we have to start with God. We see the prayer of the sick. Our response is to pray. We always have sick and afflicted. God has a purpose for it, but it is our prompting we need to pray. Which brings me to a second thing. The call for others who love the Lord to pray with you. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 14. It says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, the elders would be the idea of a pastor. Notice it doesn't say go to a traveling evangelist. It doesn't say go to some tent show where someone's trying to slap you on the forehead. You're supposed to go to your church and to your pastor. 
Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, this passage here is often so messed, uh, misinterpreted, missed up. What is happening here is that someone who's been afflicted has done everything that they can and has come to the place where I can't get over this. I can't fix this. I need God to help. So they've prayed. Now that as they prayed, they realize, all right, I'm getting to the place where perhaps I'm not going to get healed. Perhaps things will not get better. So I'm going to call for the elders. I'm going to call talk to my pastor. And I'm going to say, I realize this may not get better. So I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life with the health and life that I strength and using what I do have for the Lord. This is what this passage is speaking about. Coming to the place of surrender and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you with what I have. So many times people will say, well, listen, I want God to do what I want him to do. I want him to fix me. Wave the magic wand and then I'm better and then I can go ahead and resume my day. But God's doing something with this. There was an old preacher by the name of J. Vernon McGee. You may have heard of him. J. Vernon McGee had developed a cancer. And so he was already on the radio and he says, uh, well, the doctors had sat down, talked with him and said, sir, we're sorry to give you the news, but we think that you have about one year to live. Um, We suggest that you put your affairs in order. Well, J. Vernon McGee, understanding this passage, said, you know, I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life, whatever life that I have, for God's glory. I want him to use me as he sits fit. And so they gave me about one year to live. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go on the radio every day. He had a radio program. And I'm going to try to teach through the Bible in the year that I have left. Well, what a great thing. He dedicated himself, was on the radio, just did his radio program, walk through the Bible. Uh, the radio program was called Through the Bible with J. Vernon McGee. And he finished the year and he was still alive. Well, he says, you know what? <laughs> they still say I have cancer. They still say I don't have enough time. I wonder if I could do it one more year. And so he taught through the Bible again on the radio through the year. Still was alive. Doctors still say you're sick. You don't have enough time left. He went through it again. I don't remember the exact amount of times, but he went through it between seven to 15 times. He just said, I don't know how much time I have left, but what I do have left, instead of saying, God, fix me, God, turn me over, I'm just going to surrender, trusting that my God knows what's best and asking him to use what health and life and strength I might have left to use for his glory and for his honor. The same thing happened with one of my uh, (laughs) fathers in the ministry, Curtis Hudson. Curtis Hudson was a great influence on my life. When he began to die of cancer, he had called Pastor Clarence Sexton up, who was his good friend, and, and gave him the news that I've got cancer and it doesn't look good. I want you to pray that this cancer would leave me. And by the way, that would be a normal prayer for us. I want this cancer to leave me. I want pray that it goes away. I still have 
uh, things I want to do with my life. Just pray that it goes away. I mean, if you could think of a preacher in his mindset, we've got a lot of things to do. I need life and health and strength to get this done and get this done and get this done. And Pastor Sexton watched as Curtis Hudson was continued to go through this, that his prayer changed. Instead of saying, take this cancer away from me, he pulled Pastor Sexton aside and said, listen, I realize I've been praying wrong this whole time. Instead of praying that this goes away, God's told me that it's not going to go away. Could you pray that my remaining years is the greatest years that I have to serve the Lord? That the time that I have left would be the greatest impact? And it worked. There was such an impact that he had in his last uh, remaining days. And God used him mightily because instead of thinking about himself and thinking how bad I am and why doesn't this go away? He said, I'm going to trust God to use me with his time. And God gave him such grace. He was in lots of pain and lots of torment, but he would speak about the grace that God would give him to be able to accomplish the things that he can do that was above his ability and beyond his pain level that he had. This is what this passage is now speaking about. It's not trying to, God, fix me now. It's getting into the place where God You may not fix me, but I can trust you. Would you use me in the time that I have left? Use my health and life and strength. Surrender it to you. This is why they're calling for the pastor. Pastor, I'm letting you know I'm going to use my life wisely. Pastor, I'm coming to you and I'm letting you know that instead of trying to get my sickness healed and whatnot, help me to use my life wisely. And I'm coming to you, telling you that this is my plan. I'm surrendering. So if there are any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Now they're dedicating him. Lord, he's made a promise that he's going to use his life and health and strength for you. We're now dedicating and we're behind him and we're praying for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The anointing with oil, there's nothing magical here, but it has always been a thing of anointing someone with oil with the idea that they're dedicating them to service. Before a king would be uh, put as king, they would anoint him with oil. Before a priest would take his position, they would anoint him with oil. The oil, of course, is a picture of the Holy Spirit. So it's having this picture here that we are anointing him and trusting that God, the Holy Spirit, is going to guide him in the life that he has. He is dedicating himself to serve the Lord with a life and health and strength that he has left You know, think about, as we're talking about this, how much time we end up wasting thinking about ourselves. Look, I'm so broken. I'm so messed up. Why don't I get better? We end up spending a lot of time worrying about ourselves and our faults when we could be using that time wisely and allowing God to use us as an instrument. It is amazing to see what happens when someone gets to the place of surrender and said, God, just use me as I am. If you fix me, that's great. If you don't fix me, use me with what I have left. My concentration is now not on me, but on what you would have me to do. This becomes powerful. It changes the way we pray. It changes the way how we deal with things. It changes the way we interact. Remember, let patience have her perfect work. That God is always at work. And God knows how to use even our infirmities to get his will 
and work accomplished. Of course, I've got a whole list of biographies in my office on purpose. I want you to read biographies. The thing as you read every single one of them, everyone used by God had the same thing in common, pain and suffering. There is no easy way to serve the Lord. Even the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh and he prayed to the Lord three times that God would remove it. And you know what God finally had to do? Paul, I could tell you're going to keep praying because you know how to pray. But listen, I'm not taking this away from you. My grace is sufficient. Paul said, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities for where I am weak, he is strong. He says, I could learn to trust God to give me grace beyond measure. God said, I'm not taking this away from you. I understand that there are some people that say, listen, God can heal any sickness, and he can. But you know it's not always God's will to heal every sickness. God knows what it needs for us to be humble. If you could forgive the personal illustration. When I was a young preacher boy, I was reading lots of biographies, which is why I try to encourage you guys to read biographies. And I saw that all of them had the same... um, thing in common, pain and suffering. And so I remember surrendering myself to the Lord. God, whatever it takes to make me the man of God, you're allowed to do. And God did it in the year 2000. He broke my back. The ligaments that hold my spine straight are torn. And so my back is always twisting. I usually always have two to three herniated discs at a time. I haven't had a day without pain or discomfort for 23 years now. But God was good to allow that to happen. I now have to be dependent upon the Lord because I am not strong enough to do these things. Any, It was the, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me to have my back broken. Because it's have to be dependent upon him. This is a principle of treasures of darkness that we speak about. That the worst things that happen to us can turn to be the greatest things that happen to us if it brings us to the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand this is uncommon thinking because we just want to be fixed. But God is saying that he can use our illnesses, our infirmities, that as we pray and we talk to God, and as we speak to God about it, he could change our prayer, where instead of us saying, Lord, fix me, we could say, Lord, use me. And God could do more with us broken and dependent on him than us fixed and us trusting in ourselves. God knows what he's doing. Let patience have her perfect work. Which now brings us to pray in one accord. We start about pray for the sick, then calling for others who love the Lord to pray for you as you surrender and dedicate yourself to him. Verse 15. And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up if he have committed sins. Notice this he shall be forgiven him. So notice here in verse 15, it is attaching this idea of sins to the idea of sickness. Notice again, verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. Notice once again, it's connecting this faults with the idea of healed. The Bible speaks about this, that there are times that God will bring sickness upon us because of sin. 
The Bible speaks about this in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it speaks about the Lord's Supper. That in the Lord's Supper, it says that God will allow some to be weak, some to be sick, and even kill some people because they observe the Lord's Supper incorrectly. God says that he could cause you to be sick because you're wrong. What happens, we could be, there is many people who have sickness, infirmities in their life because they're not right with God. And God is trying to get them right with him. And if they would just surrender and stop fighting and get thoroughly right, it's amazing to see people get healed from their infirmities that let Patience have a perfect work. God is allowing things in their life because they're not right. And he, can't, he wants to draw them close to him. He wants them to be close to him. And he's trying to get their attention any way possible. It is amazing to watch people, and I've seen it personally, when people get thoroughly right with God, to watch some of the sickness, infirmities, and afflictions disappear. It's amazing. And that's what this passage is speaking here, that we need to pray in one accord and understanding that, uh, that as we pray, God is going to be pointing out things in our life that need to be fixed. And he's using these things to draw us near. Listen, if we didn't have any problems in our life, we would never pray. Amen. There'd be no reason for us to pray. We'd be fat and happy and weak and anemic. God allows things in our life in order to change the future, we have to disrupt the present. And God does a disrupting work in our life to change the direction we're going. He has to put a pit stop, a detour, a speed bump, something in our way to get our attention to change the direction we're headed to. It is amazing to see what God will do when people get thoroughly right with him. As you cry out, he, God will let you know if this illness has something to do with your disobedience. Verse 15 again. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he had committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. Then notice this. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Notice we have several words here. First of all, we have the word effectual. The word effectual carries with it the idea of effective. Did you know that there are effective ways to pray for, to pray? Meaning ways that actually see results. And there's ineffective ways to pray. For example, to pray ineffectually, we could pray generically and not specifically. Nothing is ever dynamic until it's first specific. For example, God bless our service today. What does that mean? I mean, isn't God already blessing? I mean, how do you, what does that mean? There's nothing specific. There's nothing to answer there. It's amazing how many times we pray and we don't even ask for anything. But we could pray specifically. We could pray effectively. How do you pray effectively? Pray according to God's will. Learn what God's will is. 
again, if God's will isn't for everyone to be saved, if we're praying for some, or excuse me, back that up. God's will is for everyone to be saved, but it's not God's will for everyone to be healed from sickness. So let's say that Aunt Sadie's got the gout. Lord, help Aunt Sadie with her gout. But what if Aunt Sadie will never go to church? What if she curses God? Why should God heal her? Just to have her healed and then her turn around and still say, I hate God, is that an effective prayer? No. But we could pray that God would heal Aunt Sadie for the purpose of her seeing that God hears and answers prayer and that she would recognize that there's a real God and respond to him. Now we're starting to pray a little bit more effectively because we're trying to pray according to God's will. Does that make sense? Sometimes we could pray ineffectively because we pray wimpy. Lord, if you think about it, maybe if you want to, perhaps, and if you don't get around to it, that's okay, no problem. We, that's wimpy. Pray, we could pray boldly, not rudely, but we could pray with confidence that there's a God who hears and answers prayer. There could be effective ways, and we could teach you about these effective ways to prayer. The Bible speaks about them. So we could pray effective. The effective, factual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The second word that to note there is the word fervent. The word fervent carries the idea of heated or passionate. If you could again forgive the personal illustration, but over the last 20 years, people have said, you know, the one thing about your preaching is that I believe that you believe it. That's a, that's a good compliment. Because there's many times, have you ever heard someone give a speech that didn't believe what they were saying? Yeah. I mean, you know, every kid in middle school, right? <laughs> they didn't, whatever, just get it done. <laughs> well, you know, so many of our prayers are dry and lifeless. Lord, thank you for the food. And yeah, whatever, bless the pastor. Oh, let people come to church. Okay, don't let it rain. There's no passion. It's wooden. It's nothing there. The word heated, fervent, passionate. I'm talking to God. Lord, can you bring someone in today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Can you bring someone in today that needs to hear the word of God and let them be saved? Bring them in. You think God would honor a prayer like that? Absolutely. Because we're trusting him to do it. We're praying specifically. We're praying for someone to come in who's not saved that they would get saved today. Is that God's will for someone to get saved? Good. Can we trust that God is already working on someone's heart to bring them in today? We could trust God. We could get on board. And because we know what's God's will and because we know God wants to be involved and we could have some faith. You say, but we haven't had a visitor in a while. We've had visitors, but we could get, we haven't had someone come can we trust that God bring in someone? Amen. Absolutely. Uh, someone once asked Spurgeon, and they, <laughs> they said, how come people are getting saved all the time at the church? Uh, when you preach, it seems like people are always responding at the altar. Well, Spurgeon said, yeah, yeah. I, I bet you, um, when, when you preach, you probably don't expect people to get saved. And he says, yeah, that's right. He says, that's why they're not. Could we trust God that God wants to see people saved? Yes. Is there enough lost people that could get saved every day or every week? Yes. 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 Well, let's pray. 
passionate. It's, we're missing passion in our prayers because often we're not talking with God, we're talking at God. All right, son, before I get home, you need to do the laundry. You need to wash the dishes. You need to take care of this. I'm a, here you go. Here's my list. There's nothing to it. But if I'm talking with a real God who hears and answers prayer, I should have some passion, some fervent, some heatedness. And the more passion, the more heated. Now, I'm not talking about volume, but the more that you're talking with God intensity, it is amazing to see what will happen. That I'm talking with God and I'm not letting go until I hear an answer. Lord, you have to save so-and-so. Please, I'm not leaving until you give me a word that you're going to work. Please, you've got to save him. You've got to do a work. Please do a work. You know, there's something different about that prayer. That passion prayer where it's not take it or leave it. Because if it's take it or leave it, we'll leave it every time. But coming to God out of desperation, out of need, out of saying you're the one that has to do this. You have to work. If it, you don't do it, it's not going to be done and it has to be done. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Here's our third thing, the righteous man. If you are not right with God, how can you expect God to answer your prayers? Are you right with God? So many people have a difficult time praying because they're not right with God. Think about if there was a car accident right in front of you and someone was dying and you could not get to them for some reason. Could they be delivered based off of your prayers? Could you go straight to the throne room of grace and talk right with him? Or are you going to have to get some things right with God first? Lord, you know I haven't come to you in a while and you know I haven't been reading my Bible. And you understand if, if you're not right with God, when those times of emergency comes, if people aren't right with God, it's going to be very hard for them to go straight to the throne room of grace and be comfortable with talking with him. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Meaning a lot will happen because someone who's right with God, who prays effectively and has this fervent, this heated, this passion is, it availeth much. What makes a good prayer warrior? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. It's not the prayer or it's not the warrior. It's the God you're talking to. And they've learned how to get a hold of a real God who hears and answers prayer. Once again, we see in this passage here where in verse 18, and he prayed again. He prayed again. Our prayers do matter and they should matter. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So where are you at? Are you able to right now go to the throne room of grace and have the expectation to meet with God and for God to hear and answer your prayer? Or is there something in the way? When's the last time you've been thoroughly right with God? Maybe there's some reason there's an affliction on your life. In fact, let's scratch that. There is a reason. What is it? Can you go to God? Maybe perhaps you need to get thoroughly right with God and watch some of the affliction and sickness and illness go away. 
Or maybe you needed a place where you need to surrender and say, God, instead of asking for it to go away, I'm just going to get thoroughly right with you. And whatever you want to do with me in my life, I trust you. And trust God to use you in ways you couldn't even imagine. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920. 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.